knows better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Alright, so our title this morning is Jesus, My Good Shepherd. And I hope by the end of this teaching you're going to have a deeper appreciation for every single word in that title that is represented in Psalm 23. Jesus, God in human flesh, the way, the truth, the life, my ownership, belonging, connection, relationship, good, not just any shepherd, but good shepherd, right, diligent, perfect, and shepherd, the authority, the constant care, the divine diligence, and the intimate relationship that we can have with this shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through your word and through me as I share this message. God, I ask that you would be glorified, that I would only speak as led by your spirit and your word, and that you would be glorified and that each one of us would grow closer to you, that we would appreciate and know you more as our good shepherd. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Psalm 23 is the one of the most well-known passages in the whole Bible. In fact, it's officially the most quoted Old Testament passage, most well-known old passage in the whole Old Testament. Um, even Christian, non-Christians often know Psalm 23, right? Or at least parts of it, familiar with it, right? However, there are so many depths to this psalm and treasures in it um, that we often miss, maybe because it's so familiar and so common. And I'm just going to give you some because I did have 38 pages of notes, and now it's 11, all right? So I, trust me when I say, and this, and obviously I didn't get it all when I studied, right? But he's like, yep, you're going to need to cut that down, honey. <laughs> so you get the 11-page version today, so do not fear, <laughs> all right? My wise husband gave me counsel, cut it down. Don't worry, I wasn't, I was going to cut it down, but... Uh, he helped. <laughs> so, um, yes, there is so much to Psalm 23. I'm just going to give you some treasures, some of my favorite treasures that I thought the Lord wanted me to share with y'all for today because there's so much more. So hopefully this will inspire you to study even more in depth in this psalm on your own. All right, so we're going to break it down into four sections today. And first, we have belonging to my shepherd in verse 1. Second is the diligence of my shepherd in verses 2 and 3. Diligence, hard working. 
Number three is intimacy with my shepherd. Verses four and five. And four is boasting in my shepherd. Verse six. So we're going to talk about belonging, his diligence, his having intimacy with him, and boasting in him. So let's start with belonging to my shepherd. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, right from the beginning, we have an analogy set up for the whole psalm with two premises. First of all, I, the author, King David, I am a sheep. All right? So that's kind of the setting of this psalm. I am a sheep. And the second part is God is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. And so we're going to talk about sheep and shepherds, and that's also referring to people, believers, and Jesus as well. Okay? So I am a sheep. Now, what are sheep like? It's not a compliment, all right? Um, sheep are a common example used in the Bible to illustrate humans and relationship with God. In fact, it's referenced about 200 times in the Bible. Some kind of reference, allusion to sheep, shepherd, pasture, flock. Uh, it's just crazy. It's 200 times in the whole Bible. So this is a, this is a, a, a big theme that's throughout the Bible as well. Um, so what are sheep like? Isaiah 53.6 tells us, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So we sheep go astray, they turn to their own way, and they have iniquity. Another nice word for sin there. So not a pretty picture there. Um, now the second part is the Lord is shepherd. And here I have um, Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He's the shepherd, the pasture is his, and we are the sheep that belong to him. Now it's remarkable that the Lord would call himself a shepherd. In Israel, as in other ancient societies, a shepherd's work was considered the lowest vocation. All right? It was not like a, a high-level career that uh, people would choose. It was something that was usually forced on the lowest people of society. Um, it was often the young. Think about uh, in a family, if someone needed to be a shepherd, it would be the youngest son, like David. All right? So he was the one out taking care of the sheep when Jesse came to anoint one of David's sons, and he took the first seven and went through all them. And then he's like, don't you have more sons? God didn't call any of these. And then dad's like, oh yeah, I guess I do have one more son. He's out taking care of those sheep. You know, he's, why would you consider him? He's, he's doing the lowly work because he's the lowest son. And so shepherding was a lowly job. And yet, and sheep are, are messy, stupid, and going astray sheep. And so not only are we painted as sheep, but Jesus lowers himself to set himself up as the shepherd. So we don't even see the forced humility upon us by calling us sheep, but that Jesus chose to humble himself to take care of these lowly sheep. 
All right. The great God of the universe has stooped to take care of just such sheep as you and me. So the tone of these verses, I am a sheep, um, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is one sheep talking to another sheep, maybe, you know, across the fence, on the, you know, in the other, with the other shepherd. You know, it's like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. All right, so he's, he's bragging. He's like, in a good way, like, I've got the greatest shepherd. He, the Lord is my shepherd, all right? And so he's talking to his, you know, sheep on the other side of the fence that was with the other, um, the neighboring shepherd, right, about how good he has it. <clears throat> now, it wasn't easy to be a good shepherd in Israel during the time of this writing, uh, King David has spent his whole life, right, as a shepherd. And so he knew as he wrote this psalm, he, it was so much more meaningful to him and to the people of that time. Even if they weren't shepherds, they were familiar with it. Now, how many of you have shepherd friends or, you know, shepherd major at college or, you know, a journeyman shepherd, apprentice, journeyman, master shepherd? No, we don't really, we don't have that in our society, right? So it's not familiar, familiar to us. It doesn't like, wow, shepherd, that makes a big deal to us. So um, it, was, it was a very common and very familiar. So as David writes this, not only did he have great understanding from doing it for years and years, but also people in that society in that time, his audience that was reading at what he wrote, they would have understood and identified with this very well, okay? So here's some job requirements of shepherding. So no flock was ever able to graze without a shepherd. So the shepherd was never off duty. There wasn't very much water. I've been to Israel. It is dry. All right. There is not much. There's nothing like Houston. All right. None of this green and too much rain and none of that. All right. So there's very little grass. The sheep were bound to wander because there's no fences and there's little grass. So they're going to be foraging, looking for grass. And since there are no protecting fences at that time, uh, the sheep had to be constantly watched. There were cliffs. There were deserts. The sheep were always likely to go astray and or get lost. And the shepherd's task was not only constant and never-ending, but it was also dangerous because he had to guard against uh, wild animals like wolves that would want to come and eat them. And there were also thieves and robbers ready to steal. So constant vigilance, fearless courage, and patient love for his flocks were the necessary characteristics of a good shepherd. Now, let's think about this again. The Lord is my shepherd. Now, we've determined I'm the sheep, the Lord's the shepherd, and then here we have an emphasis on the Lord is my shepherd, all right? This word my emphasizes a personal relationship, all right? We're to revel in belonging, all right? To, to glory in it, to enjoy that. You're accepted and connected in Christ, made part of his family and body. I am the shepherd's and he is mine. A closeness, my shepherd. Not just the Lord is a shepherd and I happen to be in the flock here, but this close personal relationship here. So I grew up on a farm. Um, well, it was a dairy farm. We didn't have sheep, but we had cows and we had some pigs too. Uh, we raise a couple pigs each year for meat. All right. 
And we knew that they would only be with us for a short time, and we treated them accordingly. So we had twin piglets one year, and so we named them Bay and Ken. And then the next year we had two more, because we'd eaten the first two, right? So the next year we had two more, and they were pork and chop. And then my, I have three little brothers, so my three brothers were getting all into being teens. They had ravenous appetites, and we got triplets that year, and we named them Bar, B, and Q. All right? So long-term relationships with the meat, I mean, the animals, were not encouraged in our, you know, farm life, okay? This wasn't a, you know, like, our, we have a pet cat Oreo, you know, we like love on him, and then we have, an, uh, like, we wish our pet Nala, Ginger's dog, and, you know, just, oh, love her and kiss her and sleep with her, right? I mean, so we have pets like that. This is, this is not what I grew up with, right? But, all right, it was different. In Israel, all these sheep were not for eating, they were for wool, all right? So they grew their sheep. I mean, they would use them for sacrifice, right? But they rarely ate them because it paid a lot more to keep them for wool, and then they could last their whole life, and you could get wool, you know, every year off of them. So the shepherd kept, you know, had these sheep be born, and until they died, you know, their whole lifespan, they would be with the shepherd, and he would name them. These shepherds would ha and, and sheep would have individual names, and the shepherd would know that and talk to them. So it was a very close, literal close relationship. And the shepherd was out there by himself, or maybe a couple other shepherds, but it was, it was lonely. And so he'd speak to the sheep, and the she he would be really close with them. All right? So we have this personal very personal sense of belonging. The sheep would have known, yes, I really do belong to the shepherd, and the shepherd really does care about me and would have felt that in a really huge way. Okay? Psalm 103, 100 verse 3, is, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture, so emphasizing this possessive pronoun. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Okay, This picture of belonging in the Bible um, is a large part of why my heart longs to be an earthly example of offering uh, to be a family in foster care and adoption. And all the foster classes that Matthew and I have had this year have opened our eyes even wider to so much helplessness and hurt that children in Houston and around the world go through. And they have a lot of dangers and heartache, and that's so real for them. And the more, the more closely connected you are with them and just learning about them, and I'm sure once, Lord willing, we are able to become foster parents, you, that, that heartache spreads to those who belong to those children with that heartache. And that's what Jesus does when he adopts us. He takes us with our heartache and it becomes, it's attached to him too. And he feels that and he comforts us in that because we belong to him, all right? Because of that belonging. And that's what Jesus does for us. All right? He 
says, you belong to me. You with all of your issues, all of your hurts, all of your heartache, all of your pain, all of your worries, all of your notor notorious sinningness, all right? All of your past, that is all part of who we are. And he accepts us and makes us belong in him, even with that. Psalm 68, 6, God sets the lonely in families. In Ephesians 1, 4 to 6, it says, Just as he chose us in him, he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Don't you love those words? We're chosen, we're loved, we're adopted, we're accepted. And that's what we want, this sense of ownership and connection and closeness and community, and especially as women, uh, I think every human needs this and longs for this, but I think women especially, relationships and connections and closeness is especially important to us. And we're always trying to pour into relationships with husband, family, kids, parents, friends, coworkers, students. This is so important in feeling fulfilled. And yet, the only way we can be completely fulfilled is not in human relationships, but with Jesus. Human relationships will all let us down at some point, or actually many points, and or you will let them down, if, when they, as well as they will let you down. Remember, we're all notorious sinners, right? So we're all going to let each other down. Um, so this, the point is not to give up on human relationships. God obviously emphasizes that's really important, but we need to look for our security, not in relationships with the other sheep, but in the relationship with the shepherd, all right? So we pour into relationships, loving, forgiving, connecting with other humans, but we look for security, not in any of that, but only in our relationship with Jesus. So we need to forgive other people when they fail and pray that they'll confess and pray that they'll forgive us when we fail them. But we can, in a close relationship with Jesus, we can get all we need from him. Enough to just give of yourself to others, even if they don't give back and even if they don't deserve it, which is plenty of the time, okay? So um, our first application point, or second application point here, is we need to build relational dependency on the shepherd, not on other sheep, all right? Relationships with the sheep, but only relational dependency with the shepherd. I shall not want. This statement is the result of the Lord being my shepherd. I shall not want because the Lord is my shepherd. Now, to want is to lack, or is not, not yet, sorry. The Lord is to want or to lack, the word to want means to lack or to be without, to decrease or to have need. 
So to say, I shall not want, means there's no lack or deficiency in proper care or management, being completely content and thus not desiring for anything more. So to say, I shall not want, kind of means two things. First of all, it's a declaration, and second, it's a decision. Okay, so declaration, I shall not want, means all my needs are supplied in the Lord, my good shepherd. The second meaning is it's a decision. I shall not want. I'm choosing not to want. And that is representing our contentment. I decide not to desire more than what the Lord, my shepherd, gives me. Okay? Yes, that's it. So, we need to choose to be truly content in what the omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise shepherd provides. We choose to be truly content in what the omniscient, all-knowing, all-wise shepherd provides for us. So if we don't have it, it's not because he's not able, it's because he's wise and Sometimes we don't need it. So, I shall not want does not mean that God gives us everything we want, like a spoiled child. We can name it and claim it, none of that, all right? So you study the rest of Psalm 23 and the rest of the Bible. We know God doesn't just give us everything like, oh, I want those new shoes, and I want this new car. No, then we say we want that, but that's not the meaning of this word, all right? The proper interpretation is, I shall not lack the expert care and leadership that comes from the Lord, who is my good shepherd. No matter what the difficulty of my situation might be, I am content in all circumstances because I am in the consistent, caring company of Christ. All right? So that's what David is meaning as he says, I shall not want. All right? Um, I've entrusted myself to Jesus' control and found contentment trusting him. All right? So our family um, has been in a tight place financially many times. It's um, been a, a lesson God wants to teach us, right? Um, in Scotland, when we were missionaries, we were on 100% support from uh, people that we give in the States. And... It was completely voluntary on everyone's part in the States, so it wasn't consistent necessarily at all. So we had a lot of close calls, so to speak, but God always came through and provided as we needed. And that was a great opportunity to trust him and to grow in that trust. And then when we moved to Houston, we didn't have... um, jobs here or church yet because the church hadn't been started any kind of income but trusted God for that and it was it, it's it's insecure it, it's um tenuous right it's walking on the edge right but we trusted this is what God's calling us to do the, where the shepherd is leading us so we're going to trust him and do it and then now we're um in a you know, a tenuous place again financially. Matthew's got a second job now. So it's it's not fun to feel that way, but we can can choose to trust the shepherd is leading me. It's not like he's like, oh no, what am I going to do about the McGoldricks? You know, he, he knows 
what's going on. He's not ever worried. It's all in his perfect plan. So even when our bank account is insecure, we can still be secure in God, the good shepherd. Even when our circumstances are tenuous, we can know that his unfailing love is tenacious. All right? I shall not want because I have Jesus, my good shepherd. So let's move to the second section, diligence of my shepherd. Verses 2 and 3, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. All right, so he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Philip Keller, in the book, A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23, is a pastor, but he spent like a huge part of his life as a shepherd in the Middle East. Like, and he's still alive. It's just this really amazing book. I learned a lot from that. Um, he writes that sheep do not lie down easily and will not lie down unless these four conditions are met. First, because they're timid, they will not lie down if they're afraid. Can you identify with that? <laughs> Being t worried, afraid of something, uh, and having trouble sleeping because of that worry. Uh, number two is because Sheep are social animals. They will not lie down if there is friction among the sheep. Hmm, friction with other people. Conflict with other people. I really don't like that. Um, that can cause us to lose rest and sleep. And number three, if flies or parasites trouble the sheep, they will not lie down. And finally, if sheep are anxious about food or they're hungry, they will not lie down. Rest comes... Because the shepherd has dealt with all four of these, fear, friction, flies, and famine. So our application point is the shepherd gives rest to those who trust and fully depend on him. It's hard for me to lie down and rest. I've always got a never-ending to-do list, and my mind's always like racing, and I'm doing different things in my mind while I'm also doing something here. And so I, it's hard for me to lie down and rest. But you know, it, it's not because God hasn't, my shepherd hasn't provided these things. It's sometimes we don't accept them, all right? That he will take care of it, but we're just not trusting him with it. I frequently do it. I, I'm not trusting him with it. I'm trying to work it out myself. And so we need to fully trust him in this. Matthew eleven twenty eight says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So we don't shirk our responsibilities, but we bring them to Jesus, who's even more responsible than we are, right? And we trust him when he says, Give it to me, and I will give you rest. All right. Now, our next bit is, he restores my soul. To restore implies that there was first a problem or deficiency that needed restoration. Okay, you don't restore something that's already fine. Something's broken, messed up, hurting, and you, then it is restored. So the same shepherd king David who wrote, he restores in Psalm 23, also wrote Psalm 42. Okay, just a few chapters later, he writes this. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So there is an exact parallel in this caring for sheep. And it is the shepherd restoring the cast down sheep, which is a thing, which I didn't know. All right? But I'm sure they knew because they would have known the term cast down means what happens, this problem that happens to sheep, okay? So it means basically that sheep gets turned over on its back and cannot get up, all right? So he's stuck on his back and his legs going in the air, and they, they aren't coordinated, flexible enough to, if they're getting that position, to actually get themselves back, flipped back over. So this can happen to any sheep, even healthy sheep, all right? Um, so that reminds us of, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All right, which is a good reminder. It does, you don't necessarily see it coming. All right. So how it happens is a sheep lies down comfortably in some little depression in the ground. This, this is a little bit gruesome, by the way. Um, it can roll over on its side and relax. And suddenly its center of gravity shifts so that it's turned onto its back and its feet can no longer touch the ground. So this sheep is just thinking comfortable. And then I, don't, I couldn't find any pictures of cast down sheep, but they, they keep going from here and maybe there's a little dip depression in the ground that gets them flipped over accidentally. They get panicked and they fall, paw frantically in the air, which just makes it even worse. Now it's impossible for them to get back to their feet so as they lie there, gases begin to build up inside of them and expand and cut off blood circulation to their legs. And if the sheep doesn't get help soon, the sheep will die. All right, and if it's hot and sunny, it gets even worse. Um, they may only live for a couple hours before they die because the heat of the sun will build up the gases even more. And so predators, you know, in the area where there would have been lots of sheep and lots of predators of sheep, knew what a cast-down sheep looks like, and so they're looking for the cast-down sheep. Ha-ha, he's stuck. I'm going to go get him. <laughs> and so they're easy prey, easy to take advantage of, even if it's just happened, thus adding to the danger of the situation that the shepherd has to be alert to all the time. Right? So this is another reason that shepherds have to be extra vigilant um, and have to be really near their flock and keep their eyes open and always be watching closely to all of these sheep, looking out for any sheep that's gotten himself cast down, all right? Philip Keller, the shepherd pastor guy I told you about, he wrote, it is not easy to convey on paper the sense of this ever-present danger, the co-mingled anxiety of keeping account of my flock and repeatedly searching for and restoring cast-down sheep. So actually two years and one month ago is when I first injured my leg and my back. And that was physically as well as emotionally being cast down for me. It was really hard. Um, <clears throat> I didn't know whether I would ever return. And it lasted eight months like of extreme pain and then like a slow recovery after that. So it was one of the hardest things was not just the pain, but having no idea if this was going to ever get better. And 
So that added the anxiety to the pain that was already going of, is this the rest of my life? I have little children. Am I going to be parenting my children from bed the rest of their time at home? And so I was cast down physically, but also emotionally with the fear of that and the worry of that. Now, Jesus restores and shepherds restore. And so just like we read last night, um, with Paula, Luke 15, 4 to 6, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, who thinks maybe he's lost, maybe he ran away, maybe she's cast down, all right? Because the shepherd knows all these things could have happened. The shepherd loses a sheep, leaves the 99 in the wilderness, and go after the one which is lost until he finds it, all right? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep, which is lost. And uh, I love the psalm that we sang yesterday, Reckless Love, right? Um, oh, yeah, there it is. He leaves the 99. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Still, he gives his life away. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, vigilant, reckless love of God, right? So the shepherd, when he finds this lost sheep that is cast down, he runs to it. He knows there's not much time. He rolls the sheep over on its side to relieve the gas buildup and carefully lifts her onto her feet and holds her himself. All right. Then he has to. Then he'd like straddle the sheep between his legs. All right, and like rub the legs and body to help the blood circulation get going again. And depending on how long the sheep has been cast down, it can take a lot longer, right, for the shepherd to get to do this. And then when the sheep finally starts to walk a bit, it usually falls. And if it's far away, the shepherd's going to pick that sheep up, put her on his back. All right, and walk her back to the flock, and then put her down and help her learn how to walk again, propping her up, massaging her, comforting her, all right? Can you imagine doing that for a sheep, like a smelly sheep, you know, and all of them? It's just crazy, and how that's how Jesus sees us, but he doesn't see, oh, a smelly sheep, like even though that's what we are, he, he loves us. He loves us in that. Matthew 9, 36 but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. No shepherd. And he's, he's feeling compassion for them. Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. I love that he restores my soul. All right. So Psalm 42 says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. All right. So when we're cast down, we don't stay that way. We hope in God. We know our shepherd's going to come rescue us. For I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. So our application point is look to the shepherd who is eager and able to restore our cast-down souls. 
When Jesus sees us cast down, he has compassion and he runs to help. He knows that we cannot restore ourselves, that we're dependent on him entirely for the help. See, often my problem is I think I can help myself. And I'm getting in the way of saying, actually, I can't do anything to help myself. Jesus, I need you entirely to do every, everything that could possibly be good. See also, if you want to study further, Psalm 121, verses 1 to 8 as well. Jesus had soft heart towards the down and out. And that should comfort us in our cast down times and also challenge us to be more patient and compassionate towards others when they're down. And that was definitely been the case for me as has helped me understand and be more compassionate to others as they're cast down from the times that I've been cast down. And I felt in these last couple years, I felt the Lord really walking next to me as my shepherd all the way, giving me his comfort and his strength and his assurance. And he healed my heart as well as helping to heal my body. And I felt him holding my hand through the pain. And he was there for me when I was cast down. And I know he'll be with me and there for me the next time I'm cast down and the time after that when I'm cast down. And he's there for every one of us in all of these times. He's looking out for it. He knows it's going to happen. You know, it's not he's shocked. He knows it's going to happen and he's prepared for it. So part three is intimacy with my shepherd. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Now, first of all, we'll notice the tone is different in these two verses compared to the rest of the psalm. No longer is he talking to the sheep next door. He's talking directly to the shepherd. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. He's not saying the shepherd's with me. He's saying you are with me. So now he's talking directly to the shepherd, this intimacy, this closeness. All right? There's nothing like being in the valley of shadow of death and suffering and hardship to hopefully draw us even closer to him. So this shadow of death isn't just death, but also distress or extreme danger. So this is a really interesting note, is that in this valley of the shadow of death, what is his response? The sheep's response is, I will fear no evil. So this is the opposite response to what is natural. Natural is, I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I'm fearful. But here he's saying, even though I'm in it, I will fear no evil. So why is this, that he can fear no evil, even though he's in the valley of the shadow of death? It is because you are with me, right? So our application point is the shepherd, draw close to the shepherd who takes away fear while we walk in the shadow of death. So he's right there next to us. We need to look to him, be close to him. The harder things are around us, the more we need to draw close to him. Notice that the shepherd doesn't eliminate the shadow of death or eliminate the, the evil, all right? He is just making it where there's no fear. 
All right? So the evil, the enemies, the danger, the death, it's still there. But with the Lord with me, I don't have to fear it. All right? So one of my valley of the shadow of death experiences was going through our two miscarriages in, that we had in a span of four months. And we were far enough along that we had told everybody and had the due date and um, picked out names and all that fun excitement building stuff. And the death of those two babies was a big loss to me and both of us. It was before Scarlett was born too. So after we had our, lost our second baby, it was like, are we going to even be able to have children? Um, and so that's a, you see that that's being afraid of something that hasn't happened yet, right? But that's what we do. Well, right, ladies? Fear something that hasn't even happened yet. So um, it was definitely closeness to God that got me through. And I trusted that God was with me and he was still good, even if... I thought maybe I wouldn't be able to give birth to children. I might not be able to biologically have children. And it's still a time to draw close to God. And I did, and I really felt so much comfort and peace, despite the pain uh, at the same time. So it, it really works. <laughs> it really does. Um, so why does God allow this suffering? Um, verse Peter, chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. But this is commendable. I'm sorry, first though, sometimes there's suffering because we get ourselves into trouble, okay? We deserve it, so to speak. We ask for it. We ask for it, all right? So if because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? So if you get punished, treated badly by other people because you deserve it, it's not a credit to God of like, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, you just ask for it. Now, it doesn't mean the person who treated you badly was doing the right thing either, but you kind of ask for it. And so it's not, we shouldn't say, oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. No, sometimes we just suffer because of our own mistakes, our own sin, our own notorious sin, right? But so, offering, so, so often we have our own consequences that God, our loving shepherd, lets us experience because he wants us to learn from that experience and hopefully be motivated to not do it again. But then there is another kind of suffering, hardship, affliction, that comes when, that you didn't bring on yourself from wrongdoing, okay? So why would Jesus, the good shepherd who guides us, who leads us in the paths of righteousness, um, who knows that we're following him, that tells us to follow him, why would he guide us to a valley of the shadow of death? It's because his plans and his ways are different than ours. We often look at the short term, the temporary, God looks and plans and makes decisions on the route to lead us through, including what valleys to lead us through, based on his view of the eternal. So sometimes he chooses to lead us in the valley of the shadow of death because it is for our own good and for his glory. 2 Corinthians 4.18 
says, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So often we can't see what's the good that's going to come out of this, but God has that all in hand. He, he has a good that's coming, but it's eternal. Romans 8, 28, of course, God gives an amazing promise to those sheep who are following him. All things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to his purpose. In God's power and eternal scheme of things, he looks at the big picture of eternity. He leads into pastures and mountains and even valleys where he knows we will learn and grow in the way that is best for us in the long term. So we may be like, oh, this is awful right now. But maybe this awful thing right now God wants to use to teach us to trust him more in the long term for eternal good. So the spiritual nourishment and life lessons that come through difficulty and hardship are what we need for the most, what we need the most to help us have eternal betterment. And Jesus leads us there personally. He's there with us to help us through all of it. So God's purposes for Christians who are suffering are summarized here for your further study with passages, okay? First of all, spiritual growth is a blessing that comes from suffering. Second, future glory in heaven is a blessing. Third, we get to bring glory to God through our suffering. Fourth, suffering can equip us to comfort others. And fifth, we can fulfill our role as Jesus followers. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you too. So as you see, God uses suffering as a very important and significant part of his plan in our lives. This perspective of suffering being used for good is unique to Christianity compared to other religions. All right? Every other way of life and worldviews like suffering, that's bad. Nothing positive about it. But God says, even in heartache, even in suffering, God always has good plans and can work it for good. The next verse is, His rod and His staff, they comfort me. The shepherd uses his rod and his staff to comfort us. Oh, well, and... A biblical Christian's response to suffering, which I skipped, obviously, is that we should not fear evil because God's with us. And Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Okay, so the rod and the staff are to bring us comfort. So our application point is receive comfort from the shepherd's rod and staff that represent many things, but I'm going to give you four of them today. His power, his protection, his correction, and his rescue. So these are four of many aspects that the rod and staff have in the Bible to bring comfort. The first one is... Power, right? Ephesians 1.21, Christ, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. 
He has power. He has authority. The rod represents the authority and power of the word of God in dealing with people. Comfort is brought when we have confidence in the accuracy, power, and authority of his word. All right, 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, the authority, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness, that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. All right, second, the rod and staff bring us comfort through protection. John 10.11 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. To the shepherd, it was the most natural thing for him to risk his life in defense of his flock. Sometimes the shepherd had to do more than risk his life. He had to actually lay it down. Wolves maybe were coming, and they wanted a meal of mutton, and he had to sacrifice his life. Or perhaps there were thieves and robbers who came to steal uh, these sheep and gain financial betterment. The good shepherd who works for love thinks chiefly of the sheep he is trying to serve, not himself. Jesus was the good shepherd who so loved his sheep that for their safety he did give his own life on the cross for our sins. So as a shepherd, Jesus literally did have to give his life in protecting us. So the third comforting aspect of the rod and the staff is correction. A lot of times we don't think of correction as comfort, but it is when it comes from God Right correction is a comfort. First Peter 2.25 says, For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If a shepherd saw a sheep wandering away or approaching a poisonous plant about to eat it, or getting too close to a cliff or danger of some sort, he would actually throw his rod through the air, pop the sheep there with his very good aim, and that would prompt them to be like, oh, the shepherd sees me. I'm being naughty. And they'd, you know, run back and join the shepherd <clears throat> to the flock where they're in a place of obedience. So that bit of discipline and correction, though painful for the moment, was far better than him eating the poisonous plant or tipping himself off the edge of the cliff. So the eternal perspective that sheep's far better off getting the spanking than getting the result of his own sin, which was coming up. Um, Proverbs 3, 11 to 12 says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor detest his correction. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. See also for further study Hebrews 12, verses 5 to 11. As a mom, I'm in the role of giving proper correction to my children. This is one of the hardest things I've ever done. I long to be a better shepherd for them, and I'm so grateful that he is a much better, not like that's the most understatement of the world, a much better parent than me. Um, there are times that I fail as a good shepherd to my kids, but thankfully, Jesus is never that way. He never has a bad day. He never gets not enough sleep. <laughs> He's never grouchy. He never loses his cool or shouts at his sheep, all right? I am so grateful I know what a bad shepherd is, and I'm thankful that God is not that way. If you have kids at home, I'm sure you can relate to falling short as you strive to give godly discipline. Uh, to my kids, I'm inconsistent as a good shepherd to them, but every time I look at Jesus, he is always the good shepherd. 
And every time that I don't look at Jesus, he's still the good shepherd. And so I'm so thankful that he gives correction. It is a comfort. And fourth comforting aspect of the rod and staff is Jesus's rescue. Daniel 6 verse 27 says, He delivers and rescues and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? There are so many Bible verses to pick for God's rescue, right? But I thought that was fun um, since we got lions in there. So sheep are just stupid creatures. We get ourselves in trouble. Sheep really do get themselves in trouble. They climb down into steep cliffs and get themselves stuck on the edge. They'll think, oh, maybe there's some grass under those briar bushes, and they'll climb in there and get their wool all stuck in the thorns, and they can't get themselves out. And uh, the rod is used to help scoop them up off the cliff, the cliff or help pull them out of the brambles that they got themselves stuck in. And God graciously, even when we sin and get ourselves into trouble, we still often have consequences, but he's still faithful to rescue us. And I know that is true. Um, our next verse is, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This is a striking phrase, all right? Because it doesn't say he takes away the enemies. It says the shepherd prepares a table, prepares a meal in the presence of the enemies who are still there. Isn't that crazy? All right? So um, Isaiah 40, verses 10 to 11 says, Behold, the Lord God shall come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. So Charles Spurgeon put it this way. <clears throat> when a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, he eats at all if he eats at all, he's just snatching a hasty meal, and away he hastens back to the fight. But observe, thou preparest a table, just as a servant does when she unfolds the damask cloth and lays the ornaments of the feast on the ordinary peaceful occasion, like our beautiful place settings and our beautiful food and everything that we've enjoyed, right? The servant has the time. The Lord lays out this beautiful feast, all right? Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door. And yet, God prepares a table. And the Christian sits down and eats as if everything were in perfect peace. All right? So he doesn't necessarily take away the enemies, but he prepares a table, all that we need in great beauty, even in the presence of our enemies. And our final point, number four, we need to boast in our shepherd. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord together. This is the sheep talking to the neighbor sheep again, right? He's back to boasting about the Lord. And he's telling all everyone, the Lord it brings goodness and mercy. It's wonderful. It's like an exclamation mark. This sentence is a whole exclamation mark at the end of this beautiful psalm. He's bragging to the others. And Galatians 6.14, But God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. 
So in application, we need to boast to others about the shepherd's goodness and divine diligence. We boast about him to others, be a witness and a testimony of all he's done to other people. So Jesus, my good shepherd. I hope that you can now appreciate more Jesus, what he has done, who he is, my, this relationship, this belonging, this connection to him, good, how hard working and diligent he is, all that he has to do, all that he does, that because he loves us and shepherd, this humbling yet powerful role that he plays in our lives, his absolute authority, constant care, and divine diligence in this psalm. And I'm so thankful that he is my good shepherd. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for being our shepherd. Thank you so much that we can belong to you. And Father, I pray that you would help us right now to commit to you, to trust in you more fully than we ever have before. Help us to depend on you as our shepherd, to know that you are worthy of that dependence in every way. In Jesus' name.